0: Hi, I'm Shailusha Baxi-Ritchie.
1: And I'm her co-host and sister, Kosha Baxi-Karstens.
0: Spoiler alert, we are sisters.
1: And best friends.
0: We grew up in the middle of Illinois, two little brown girls in a heartland farming community. We were certainly loved, we had lots of friends, but we never felt like we really fit in. We started to realize that there were a lot of people who felt similarly othered. And that realization was a seed for this podcast.
1: Then, during the 2020 election cycle, we watched now Vice President Kamala Harris reclaim her power and story from Mike Pence. We saw what a badass she was, and we got inspired. We wanted to hear, share, and amplify the voices of everyone who has felt othered.
0: We wanted to give everyone a platform, regardless of who they are, who they love, or where they're from, to reclaim their power and their place, to stand up and say, I am speaking.
1: I am speaking. Uh, Yeah.
0: Welcome listeners and enjoy the serenade.
1: That was just off the top of my head. Can you believe that? Just off the top of my head.
0: Uh, No one can believe it.
1: I didn't prepare. I, I didn't, it was vamping as they say in jazz.
0: <laughs> I don't think that's what they call it in jazz.
1: Vamping is like when you improv, right? I'm gonna look it up. Hold on. Keep talking. Okay. It's all, Oh wait, no. Attach a new upper to a boot or shoe, which I clearly was okay, not no, doing.
0: That is not Repeat it, yeah. a
1: short, simple passage of music. The band was vamping no. gently. No, I wasn't doing that either, but it was a musical. <laughs>
0: Lots of things are musical and just can't like throw the label on them. No, correct. Okay. Fair
1: enough. Um, all fair enough, but still undeniably an amazing theme song.
0: Okay. Well, this is the first of many listeners. <laughs> yes. Yes. That uh, you will never hear the same theme song twice. So welcome to season three of I Am Speaking with Shelushi and Kosha.
1: I can't believe it. We ben. are. I know we're Amazing. going, I know we're going on season three. It's so exciting and crazy.
0: This season, we are focused on the stories of people who operate against gender norms, who act against gender norms. So either they do a job that's sort of, you know, they, they work in the field or they work with people who are, you know, primarily of the opposite sex or the opposite gender, um, they, they're trailblazers in their fields or they're just doing work that, you know, is very atypical for their for their gender.
1: And number one or first person up is Susan Mata, a lawyer who works in union rights and advocacy.
0: So she works on the employee side. Um, and so she represents, um, you know, in this case, firefighters who have been injured or have a, or have a complaint, right. They do like negotiations,
1: like pay negotiations and stuff like that too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Not always injured, but basically people who need to have a situation resolved. And so uh, it was really great to talk to her and hear her stories. And, you know, it's, it's interesting that on some level, it's like so typical, the stories were so typical um, but the nuance or the specifics were really interesting, right? I think we had expected, or at least I can't speak for you, I had certainly expected a lot of misogyny just kind of floating around all the time everywhere. Um, and that's, you know, that's not what we found out. That's not what I heard. Um, not that there isn't misogyny, but it's it's not just like on all sides from all people
1: absolutely. And it was interesting how she even talked about code switching, and we hear about code switching a lot in um, in conversations about race. And you and I have had to do it; uh, definitely had to turn on, you know, turn on the Indian code, you know, when we go to Indian weddings and things like that, and and then the other—I don't want to call it like white code—but turn that on when we went to school or you know, with with some of our other friends but she just, she talked about it with gender and how she has to walk that line between, you know, being a woman, which she definitely identifies as a woman, she, her, and then being masculine, um, and really having to always be at the top of her game because people expect her to not be as good.
0: And that's, you know, that is, a common theme. There are so many studies that show that we've heard that from, you know, anecdotally and, and, you know, in real research that shows that that is a common situation for women. I think what's interested interesting for me is the specific ways in which it shows up, not just that she always has to be at the top of her game or that like, because she operates in a man, you know, a male dominated field or works with a lot of men that, there's this fine line to walk between being feminine enough, but not too feminine and um, being, you know, tough, but then, you know, take, getting the pushback from being perceived as too tough and all these things, but just sort of the specific ways it shows up. And, you know, it was just really cool to hear her talk about sort of like how she deals with all of that too.
1: And how she has dealt with it over the years. I think you will hear a maturity in her descriptions of how she deals with it now which is I just can't spend my time on this and how she has teflonated you know like just put layers of teflon on her over the over the course of her career so we are very excited to kick off yeah season three of I am speaking with She and Kosha enjoy Susan she is speaking
2: I am Susan. My pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I
1: am speaking. Hi Susan. Welcome. Thank, thank you, you for being on today.
0: Thanks for having me. Oh, Curtis. our pleasure. We're really excited to start our third season talking to you as a woman who's a lawyer and what your experience has been like in a typically male-dominated field and uh, we do know that women are, you know, moving into professions such as law, such as medicine, you know, at very high, high numbers now, and that the gender norms are becoming, or the gender numbers, not the norms, but the numbers are becoming more equal. And yet I've heard from so many people that gender norms persist. Basically what happens when a person's gender and, and their professional field or the choices that they make don't fit with gender norms. So you're a lawyer,
1: Susan. Yes. Can you talk about the type of law? Because I think that's going to play into how you are expected to be and what the field really looks like.
2: Yeah, I'm a union side labor lawyer. So when I initially started my career, I actually worked for um, more of a service oriented union. So I worked with a very kind of broad, diverse group of individuals and workers Um, So I was exposed to, I'd say just, it was male dominated, but there was, there was more of a mix, but now I represent primarily firefighters. So it's very, very male dominated.
0: Wow. Firefighters are primarily men, the vast, you know, the majority of them are men. Does that culture or does that mindset then seep up all the way through representation? You're not a firefighter and you don't work for a fire unit, for example, you're a a labor lawyer, does that the mindset in a firehouse pervade the union side too? Mm-hmm. Not so much for my dealings with my
2: clients themselves. I would say they're actually very respectful. You know, They very much look to their lawyers as being the experts on the issue and for help. So I don't even get it from, from them. It's more from say the other side, Um, The advocates on the other side, sometimes the neutrals or the triers of fact, and then definitely management on the other side. That's, that's more of where I see it.
1: Can you explain what the other side is? Who, when you are going, when you are fighting a case or, you know, in court, who is the other side? You are representing the union firefighters. I think it would be great for, for
0: you to sort of explain to our listeners, what does it look like? Like, what is the setup here? You're on one side, you've got another side. How does everything play out?
2: Generally, we go in and if it's a hearing or a meeting, um, they're going to have their attorney who's almost always a man and then there's going to be a fire chief and then other members of administration. They're almost always all men. I'm generally the only woman in the room. And we either sit down and have a hearing or we're, you know, we're having a meeting and we're trying to work something out. So it's always going to be a, a municipal fire department who is the other side and, and what I'm dealing
1: with. So you are representing the actual firefighters. Yes. Your opposition is the institution? Yes. Okay. yeah. The
0: government, the governmental institution. The governmental
1: right. institution. Okay. Right.
0: And then are you usually being called into a hearing or adjudication because there is something that's gone wrong? Is it reactive or is it proactive or is it like a mix? It's a mix, which is, which is really nice. I mean,
2: there's, there's a lot of you know, kind of diversity in the work itself, as as far as sometimes it's litigation, and sometimes it's, hey, there's a problem, let's try to work and solve it together. And I find the relationships kind of are all across the board. Sometimes you have employers who are very willing to work with their employees. They're great partners in it Um, doesn't mean you always see eye to eye. And then other times when it's just all they want to do is fight, you know, the best you can do is, you know, protect your rights and, and get the best deal you can. So it, it really depends. But uh, but a lot of times there's there's a problem and, you know, I'm there to, to either help them solve it or litigate it. That's that's really how it, you know, generally how it happens.
1: I know you told me before, but your name is Susan and you put the Sue in Susan.
2: Yeah, (laughs) I came up with that one a long time ago. It was just a joke a long time ago that like I joked that I put the Sue in Susan (laughs) as a nickname, even though I don't go by Sue really as a nickname. It's it's funny, but it's it's interesting. You know, I mean, I I really enjoy working in the environment, but I always just kind of laugh because You know, on the one hand, I have my clients who are, like I said, are, you know, they've all been very respectful to me and, and, you know, they, they enjoy, I think a lot of them having a female attorney representing them, but then I'm dealing with men on the other side who often cannot handle being challenged by a woman. And it's, it's funny, you know, how, how people react differently to that. Some just shut down and they, they can't handle it. Um, I had someone recently accuse me of threatening him. It was at a hearing and I was questioning him because that's what I do as a lawyer in a hearing. And my job is to elicit information, especially if I think someone's not being forthcoming. And so he started arguing with me about how many questions I was asking him. And I told him, I said, you know, I have a lot more to ask you, so you better buckle up. And he said, he accused me of threatening him for that. <laughs> so exactly. Like if
1: anything I want you to be safe I'm telling you to buckle up.
2: <laughs> right, if anything I was advising him you should sit tight because we have a ways to go. It's funny to me. I mean just the way sometimes people react and I, even my clients will bring it up. Um they'll say, "Hey, you know, I I see the way they, you know, these men interact with other men and and you act no differently than they do." And and the men don't care when they're dealing with a man, but then if it's me or another woman, not just me, they react very differently to it. You know, I'll get that. Her tone's aggressive. I'm a lawyer and men are aggressive all the time. I mean, it's not like I'm particularly assertive. I am a very assertive, outspoken person. There's no question about it, but it's seen so differently coming from women oftentimes, you know, in, in men, it's seen as a virtue. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was joking with someone the other day, I said, apparently, I'm supposed to serve it up with a pie, too, or something, because I, you know, I don't know what else I'm supposed to do. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be, you know, good at my job and a zealous advocate. And, you know, here I am criticized for that. But, but yet, I don't see that criticism coming toward men. So it's interesting. And it's, and it's within the profession, you know, I'm not even talking clients doing it, It, Mm -hmm. it's even within the profession. And, and the way lawyers react to it as well, which is, which is very interesting, I find.
0: So your colleagues, you know, ultimately, even though they're representing a different perspective, right, they're still your colleagues. And there is probably a universe in which, uh, or a set of situations in which you could find yourself on the same side as what someone that you might be arguing against. And yet the attitude is still really like, why are you doing this to me? It seems like things get real personal. Oh, yeah. Sometimes people do make
2: it personal, right? And, and you try to steer away from that. You know, I've, I've learned with certain individuals to just kind of shut it down and, and not engage in the back and forth a lot. But that's, you know, that's just part of the job. I, I even see it, like I said, sometimes amongst fact finders, you know, arbitrators we're in front of or, or judges. And you can tell that it's, it's just this idea of, wow, you know, she's really assertive. Um, and and I see it in reactions to other people as well, right? It's not just, you know, in, in what I see in reactions to me. And it always just, I always scratch my head because I think really, you know, I mean, this is, this is our job. This is, we're, we're supposed to be assertive.
1: Yeah. If I, if I sat back and did nothing, I'm not
2: doing my job.
1: I would be bad at what I'm doing. Right.
2: And I'm not talking about assertive as in abusive or anything like that. There's certainly that, that level of it, but You know, people just think when you, you know, in general, when you argue zealously that, oh, you know, if a woman does it, it's it's horrible. Yeah, sometimes is the attitude.
0: Yeah, I mean, it definitely seems like you would be, you would not be doing your job if you approached your work as like, hey, why don't you just tell me whatever you want to tell me? Like, you do have to push for information. Usually it's the information that you have to push for that people don't want to tell you. They're happy to volunteer whatever makes them look good, right? Like, Like, I love my mom. I totally, yeah, we totally paid those people or we, you know, we took care of that. Yeah, but what are you not telling me? Exactly. That's what I need to find out. What you're not telling me, Mm -hmm. you know, voluntarily, that's the stuff that's actually questionable. And if, if I just were like, would be really great if you could just tell me the thing that i want to know like that's not very that's not good lawyery like you right wouldn't no know exactly i would not
1: hire that lawyer right right
2: no exactly i mean you really have to delve into details the devil i always say the devil's in the details and there are just certain people they cannot handle when someone presses them they just and and especially when it comes from a woman you can tell right i mean I deal with a lot of people who are in positions of authority, right? So I, I get that general psychology, but then you can tell there's an added layer um, when, when it's coming from a woman because they just, oftentimes they can't handle it. And I actually, to a degree, I enjoy it a little because I like to mess with people like that and, and I can, you know, especially when they serve themselves up to me, then I, I tend to have fun with it, but I figure it's my payback, right? <laughs> you know at the same time it's you know we could get through it much faster if if they didn't play the game you know and i'm and i'm happy not to play the game uh, and and play games and just you know just stick with doing my job but oftentimes uh you know I, i'm in those situations
1: you're like i'll play come at me bro i'll play it's
2: uh, don't poke the bear right you you guys know me well enough <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Bear. <laughs> i would not poke the bear I want the bear on my side. Thank you. Exactly, exactly.
0: So I want to pause here and loop back around and start by asking you how you became interested in law. A lot of lawyers that I know say that their parents are like, they could tell right from the beginning that their kid was going to go into law. Did you ever hear that as a child? My personality has definitely always been this way, but I always used to
2: say I never wanted to be a lawyer. My dad's a lawyer. He, He did corporate law. Um, And it's funny because I grew up very much in an environment where there was a lot of focus on how my oldest brother was going to be so successful because he was, he was, he was so smart. He was going to do so well, and he was going to be a lawyer and he was going to do all these things. And none of that happened. And it was very much kind of brought upon by my mom's parents. They were very traditional in that sense. And in fact, my grandfather lamented the fact that my youngest cousin on the other side who's also a female were the were the lawyers in the family and he was upset about that why can't the men in the in the family be the lawyers why is it the women not that he was proud of us he he was upset
1: that that we're the lawyers not the men you showed up the men now would it have been different if everyone was a lawyer right like if you the men and the women or what is it that women shouldn't be lawyers
2: he, he only would have cared about the men being the lawyers. I'll, I'll put it that way.
1: So he would, have, he would have given you a pass if the men had also been lawyers. Right,
2: right. He wouldn't have been upset by it, right? Because at least he would have had some, some men in the family. But I mean, I always remember going to visit them and there was always all this focus on my, my brother and, and how he was doing in school. And I was always sort of on the side. It was what it was growing up. It probably just made me you know work that much harder quite frankly, in, in, the, in the long run. But I, I kind of grew up with that. And I really actually didn't want to be a lawyer because my dad did this corporate work. And I always had a very strong sense of social justice, even from a very young age. And so once I realized that I could use that in a legal setting, then I was all for it. So it really wasn't more until I'd say high school, closer to college, that I actually started thinking about using law as a way to accomplish, you know, my personal goals. So,
1: you know, I think people think about uh, being an entrepreneur or being a lawyer as like, oh, you're only enough for the money and this and that. But at the end of the day, you really can do both. You can be a, you know, a, a, an activist for social justice and be in law or, and make money. And you can kind of go after that. It, I mean, we need social justice advocates in every sector of the world
2: right No, I mean we we literally charge our clients half of what our market rate is I mean that's that's what we do because we have clients who are not-for-profits and they don't make a ton of money you know I I, you know and it's still expensive and I and I have some clients who will you know or or members who will gripe about the money and I, I very candidly say to them hey no offense but if I were in this for the money, I wouldn't be representing you. I'd represent someone who can afford to pay me more than twice what I make now, mm-hmm. you know? And, and that's just, you know, that's just the, the reality, right? But, but I wouldn't have it any other way. I, I love it, you know? And I, and I gladly do it, which is why I do it, um, because it's, it's not just a job for me. It's, it's something I really, really enjoy.
0: So when did you decide to go to law school? Like, was it, it sounds like in high school, you're like, oh, I could combine you know, my interest in, in, you know, my, my sort of my innate skills and talents um, with my passion for social justice. And then was that sort of your launching path to law school?
2: No. So I ended up, I went to a sort of more alternative college um, and I came across someone who knew someone who was a union organizer and, and talked about this union organizing program. And I looked into it, it was through the AFL-CIO. They had this program called the Organizing Institute. And I learned that you could actually get paid to help workers fight for their rights. And I thought, oh, wow, that's that's like my dream job. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I actually got into that um, right out of college. And I was a union organizer for a few years. Um, and that's when I decided to go to law school. For me personally, with organizing, it's more about you send people out to do a fight in the workplace. Um, and I like to be there with them because <laughs> I, you I like do like to actually you know, fight. I like to fight. You know, I am a good fight. I'm good at it. And I, I like fighter. to be on the front line of the fight. So I, I just realized it wasn't my thing as much. I, I loved the advocacy part of it, but I wanted to be more a direct part of the advocacy. And that's when I decided to go to law school.
0: And so tell us about your law school journey. Where did you go? It sounds like you went in thinking about union work already. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Law school was part of your tool set to do what you really wanted to do
2: it really was
0: yeah no it was i went to michigan michigan i knew i knew there was some michigan state michigan state university oh i knew there was something about you i didn't know michigan (laughs) state had a law school so
1: i went to michigan state for grad school susan and Sheila. she went to university of michigan for grad school but as you know because you went for grad school no one cares as much about football and sports because that's you're close. so like, busy. Like, I don't have time for this. So when people are like, oh my God, you and your sister must fight when, you know, during football season. And we're like, no, I, we don't care. I don't care. So that, but like, we have this like pretend rivalry. That's why <laughs> <laughs> like she's at Michigan state anyway.
0: Well, and that's why I saying I didn't even know it
2: had a law school so when they built the new tiger stadium detroit college of law i think it used to be like home plate or first plate something like that they they did like a taking um, and so at that time they took advantage of the opportunity and they entered into a partnership with michigan state so my first year there my very first semester that was the last semester of the people from detroit and then everybody else moving forward had started at the new school
1: oh okay. wow all right So, and not to make this, not to make this about the men, but you met your husband in the union organizing work, right?
2: Yep. We were organizers together. Yeah.
1: But then he was like, he still is an organizer. Yep. Okay. And you're like, no, I'm going to go to law school. I want to do something else. Yes. So you you went to law
0: school at Michigan state. Yep. Was there the same kind of resistance with, like low-level resentment toward women, you know, being assertive, being outspoken, being, you know, borderline aggressive even um, in law school as there is in your work currently, or was that something that you like experienced really on the outside of law school? I would say it was more on the outside, um,
2: kind of once it was more about butting heads, um, you know, with people it, you know, you'd see the the antiquated rules about, for moot court, women are supposed to wear skirts and things like that. And I, I would challenge people on it. I saw stupid things like, you know, people would, I don't know, one of the groups I remember uh, went around posting posters with like the Hooters logo and trying to get people to come to a meeting and using that. And I said, come on, this is really inappropriate. Um, and, I, and I was basically met with just a a glassy stare, like they didn't understand what I was even talking about. I mean, other than that, I didn't invest a lot of my time in that community because I, I, I was there as a means to an end um, and people were there for so many different reasons. I didn't see them as like my people for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, I certainly met people I'm still in touch with, but
1: were you a little bit older than, cause you were not going straight out of college into, into law school. Was there a sense of like, Oh God, these kids, you know, wanting to go to Hooters. Was there a sense of that age gap or not? Really? Not really. Cause
2: it was only three years and there were other people like me who waited and there were people who were older. I mean, I'd say most people came right out of college, but it, it was only three years that, you know, difference that between college and when I started. So, um, it, it wasn't much of an age gap anyway. Um, and I just, I wasn't there for the socialization I, I had, you know, I was, we weren't married at the time, but I was, you know, with my now husband at the time. So it, for me, I just
0: didn't really, like I said, I, it was a means to an end for me. Yeah. And then, so from there, did you come back to Illinois? Where did you go after that?
2: Well, no, I, I'm not from Illinois, so I wasn't. Oh, well, in then Illinois you couldn't originally. have come back. All right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, no. For, so from there, we moved to Illinois. And Jerry's from Oak Park, so um, we we moved out here, and that's when I started working for unions right away. I mean, it's interesting because when I started off, I had a lot more uh, female supervisors and and female bosses and and things of that nature. But like I said, it, it, the issues I've had haven't been so much with the people I, I'm my, my actual coworkers, it's more been on the other side and people not being able to handle, you know, and, and how they react to women asserting themselves and, you know, whether it's me or or another woman and, and I see it too, you know, and, and how people react to women that I work with as well. Um, that's really more when it started. And I, I don't know if it's just an excuse that, you know, if they feel like they're getting jammed and, and they just don't like it. So then they turn it into a gender issue without
1: realizing it. How much of that is like low hanging fruit? Like, oh my God, I'm backed into a corner. What's a way to attack that doesn't have to do with what she's saying? Right. right? But one of my questions was have you been in the situation where you've been on the opposite side? Like someone has been. Your opposition, and then you've had to work with them.
2: Not often, not often, but yes, I I did have that once, but it, but it wasn't someone that I had um, a tense relationship with. So, or I should say, actually, twice I had that, um, and and neither times did I have a tense relationship with the person. So, it was weird, um, more in the sense where I was like, well, usually we're on the other side of the table instead of on the same side, but it, it wasn't a, a big mental shift because I, I got along with them. So, and, and one was a man and one was a woman. So, you know, for the most part, it, it wasn't that hard. Usually I'm just on the other side, but because the parties have a continuing relationship, so do I with the other side. And, you know, that's the thing. And, and that's what can be both good and bad. It, it's good that you have a long-term relationship, but if it's not a good one, then it can be a, a really bad thing. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, that's where I find too, there's a lot of blame shifting that goes on. And I, I think that's also what happens sometimes is it's easy to try to, to shift the blame that way um, to say, well, you know, it's because she's abrasive, but I, I even had a client. This was actually funny. He got a good laugh out of it. He called me up once and he said, you know, I I was asked a question about something I'm, I'm not on that team I don't know anything about it they know I'm not on that team and I said I don't know you'll have to ask this other person who's on the team and, and the response was well I'm asking you and he said and I'm telling you I don't know and then that <laughs> supervisor went around and said don't you think he was being aggressive and so this person was talking it over with me and I said so basically you asserted yourself and you were accused of being aggressive and he said yes and I said, <laughs> welcome to my world. Right. Now you know what it feels like to be a woman. And he just started dying. I mean, that is literally what happens. You know. And I, and I keep thinking, you know, I try to engage in self-reflection. And am I just behaving in a way that I really, truly am, am not aware that I'm behaving outrageously? No, no, it's not happening at all. You know, it's just, it's just an excuse people use. And I, I don't even know if people are aware a lot of times that they're doing it. Yeah. You know, that it's I think a lot of times it's just the inherent sexism and microaggression that exists, because like I said, I, I see it happen to other women as well. It's, it's not like it's only happening to me. And, you know, most of it, you just you just have to blow it off and, and keep moving on um, and, and stay the course, because at, at the end of the day, it's, it's either an intentional or unintentional tactic to throw you off your game and to keep you from from doing your work. You know, you just you just have to keep pressing forward and roll your eyes at the you know, <laughs> the obnoxious
0: behavior and move on. Yeah. So right now you're working uh, with four firefighters, mm-hmm. um, but you had previously, you know, you said that you worked for service workers. Mm-hmm. Was your experience there different working with the opposition, or does it all is it all kind of the same in terms of? you being a woman, representing your client and basically having to fight for what, you're, what you think is right for your client.
2: Definitely the paramilitary environment that exists in fire service makes it a, a different environment in dealing with management. When I was in, when I was dealing more with service sector, I was dealing with a much broader range of just people with different backgrounds, different experiences, You know, a lot more uh, women supervisors, uh, things of that nature, or just males who were used to having female supervisors and and women who they were accountable to. So that was, I would say, more common. So it wasn't quite it wasn't quite as obvious. Um, I would still get I mean, it always would make me laugh because you know, especially since you guys know me, this will make you laugh. Men in particular, I'd prep them for a hearing, and then they would see me in the hearing and they would say afterwards, boy, wow, you you really tore them a new one without even raising your voice. I mean, you seem so nice and everything. When I first met you, I I wasn't sure what they were thinking, you know, at first when they hired you, but boy, you're really tough. And I just laugh. I'm like, okay, only men have ever said that to me. I've never had a woman be surprised by that.
0: Right. You know, when they
2: actually see me in action, um, much like I'm not surprised when I see women in action. Right. Yeah.
1: Absolutely, um, But it's,
2: it's only ever men who've ever done that where, and I, and I also think like, okay, well, you're just seeing what you want to see then because yes, of course I'm nice to you, you know, you're the person I'm working We're with and I'm advocating side. for.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, this goes back to a little bit where in our first season and in our second season too, where we talked about people who code switching is the norm for them that they have to act one, you know, they don't have to, but they act one way in their personal life or when they're not on the clocks so to speak, but that a whole nother personality or a whole nother vocabulary or whole nother set of, you know, traits needs to come forth when they are doing the job that they need to do. And I imagine that, you know, that is the same for a lot of people. I think a lot of women, particularly in fields where there is this sort of like going toe to -to toe with someone, like if you were like that to all your friends and your family, they would be like... (laughs) could you lay off, please?
1: Susan, I just asked you if you needed another wine, (laughs) like, calm down,
2: (laughs) right. Well, and and I joke, you know, I I don't like to fight in in my private life because that's, I get paid to fight all day long. So, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't fight with people on social media. I, you know, I'm actually super laid back at home and everything. And I'm I'm still pretty laid back at work too. I just, you know, I don't like it when uh, games are played, you know, so I, I always get along great with the other side as long as they're not playing games and then you know when you throw the games back in their face and they don't like it, hmm. you know, don't play the game. and and I like the code switching it it's it's challenging right And it's it's nice to be challenged. I mean I, I enjoy the challenge of it. I, I find too what's different is there' just there are a lot of men who don't know how to relate to women without flirting and and if you don't reciprocate, they don't know what to do with you. And and I'm not a flirtatious person at all. There've been a number of men I've worked with. They just like, they really literally just didn't know what to make of me or how to deal with me. And it, that was more when I worked with a different employer that was, you know, there were some coworkers that were like that, but it just, it always struck me as funny that, you know, like they, they just couldn't deal with women or or know how to communicate with them without it being a flirtatious situation. Not that they were trying to accomplish anything with it, but just that it was, that's the only way they were comfortable communicating with a woman.
1: So they weren't trying to be sexual, right? But they actually like, they went to this like automatic place where When I'm dealing with a woman, I have to somehow be like flirty or.
0: Well, it's like saying that, you know, it's the equivalent of them basically like having no other language. Right. Right. You know, it's like basically going, going to like Spain and being like, I can only speak the Spanish I learned in my Spanish class. Exactly. Right. This is all I could say. This is all I know how to, how I can communicate even though it's like, people don't really talk like that in real life. You know, you go to Mexico and first of all, people don't use the, the, you know, the classroom Spanish. There's all kinds of slang, right? But secondly, you go to like, if you go to the West coast versus the East coast versus central Mexico, they're not talking all the same.
1: My Brian, my Brian, my husband my Brian, Brian <laughs> says that uh, the only Spanish he knows to say is the car is in fire. He, he only knows how to say, el coche es en fuego. Like, that's all. And he's like, I could say other things are on fire, but I don't know anything else. He's like, la vaca es en fuego. Like, that's all he knows. So that's kind of what you're saying is like, okay, I see a woman. This is the language that I see that I can say. Can we talk about the code switching a little bit? Because yeah. you and I have talked before about how... You are definitely a woman, right? You identify as a woman. You're a heterosexual woman. You have a husband you've been with for a long time. There's no question about your gender identity, but you have had to act very, you've had to try to balance this like masculine energy, which we all have, right? Every woman has some kind of masculine energy and we could turn it off or turn it up or whatever. Can you talk a little bit about the code switching and having to act quote, masculine or, you know, having to balance that masculine and feminine, when do you have to do it? How do you do it? What is that code switching like for you?
2: It's it's always an interesting balance. And I think I I learn about it still. I I don't even know that I still fully have it down. I mean, I've, I, I don't wear makeup. I really never have. I wouldn't, I don't like the term tomboy. I've always been just a very sports oriented person. I never tried to quote unquote, dress like a boy or be a tomboy. I was just always very physically active. I love sports and makeup wasn't a part of that. You know, it got in the way and I'm just general kind of a very low maintenance person. So it's, it's weird for me too being in an environment where I, I have to be, I have to sort of act like a man because I have to be strong and seen as strong and, and aggressive, but yet people are you know still expect me to, to look and act like a woman too and and to balance that is always very interesting it's it's definitely a struggle to find that right balance right that's why I was sort of joking of do I have to serve everything with a pie um, because I, I don't wear skirts I don't wear dresses I physically can't wear heels my, my ankles roll and collapse.
1: You wear Converse, don't you, or Vans? I do
2: or I, Vans. Yeah, I do. I live in them because it's I can't even wear those shoes that are flat but have a thicker sole because it's the same problem. I my foot will be flat on the ground and my ankle's laying next to it, like it's really <laughs> painful. I, can, I physically can't do it. And you know, so I've I've even had people, men usually, comment on my shoes and things. Now sometimes they're complimenting me, but other times it's oh those look comfortable, and I can tell they're you know, and I'm like, you know, I don't make comments about your outfit. And quite frankly, you could stand to lose 40 pounds, but I'm not saying anything to you now. Am I right? But that suit looks stupid or something, right? I mean, I'll get that a lot. I I'll have people regularly comment on my physical appearance. And it's, again, it's the other side. It's, it's not, it's not the people I'm working with and helping it's the other side. And they'll make comments about my physical appearance all the time. And I'm like, it's
0: whatever, you
2: know, I, I, I just kind of roll my
0: eyes. Exactly. I roll my eyes. It is definitely, it, it is definitely a mind game tactic though. Right. Like, oh yeah, absolutely. If this, if that was the kind of thing that would mess with your head basically, and you'd be off your game and that could be an advantage for them.
2: Right. You, you would think, though, that it would be a safe assumption that a woman who doesn't wear makeup isn't really going to be thrown off her game by a comment about her appearance. Because, <laughs> I mean, my attitude with the makeup is, if you, know, if you don't like the way I look, don't look at me like I, I really don't care. Um, it, it bothers me that so many women feel like they aren't presentable unless they wear makeup, that we feel like we have to mask ourselves and, and look perfect in order to be presentable. Um, if people feel comfortable that way, go for it.
1: Right. That's what I was going to say. Like there's some people like me, I love, you know, experimenting with makeup and I do statement lips and stuff, but I saw a Facebook post the other day that was like uh, one of those like surveys, quote unquote surveys. I was like, "Um, how many women here can walk out the door without makeup? I'll wait. I saw that. Yeah. And I'm like, every woman can, whether they want to or not is a different story. But to your point, the question is really going after would they? Right? Like I know somebody who wouldn't leave the house without makeup to go get the mail. They don't want anyone to see them without that presentation. That is different. That is the gender expectation. I mean, I
0: will counter, well, I will say two things about this. One, the joke between Kosha and I is that Kosha has only two (laughs) looks and one of them is All the makeup to the nines, the dress, the outfit, the blot, everything. The glitter, the sequins, yeah. The other look is running clothes. Nothing. (laughs) Yeah. Leggings, running clothes, uh, sometimes a hat or a visor. Hair pulled up, not always smoothly. (laughs) Sometimes it's done smoothly. Sometimes it's just like randomly pulled up. Running shoes. My my favorite story about this is that to my husband... Saw Koshia's LinkedIn picture, which is- It just gotten new, like, professional headshots. Yeah, headshots. Koshia's wearing a suit, you know, very professional looking. Makeup done, professional looking. Neutral. Neutral, neutral makeup. Neutral, you know, sort of neutral, <laughs> professional makeup. Hair down, Uh, and you know, just looking really nice, right? Very, like, very professional. If Koshia was a lawyer, that would be a perfect lawyer. Right, shirt. right, right. And so my husband sees this and he goes- did Kosha, like, did straightened straighten her hair? And I was like, are you kidding me? Has Kosha always had straight hair? <laughs> the one thing about this picture that has remained consistent. Just it was a little funny shocking. story to be like, yeah, I think so. You know, and I'm the kind of person where I'm like, sometimes I wear makeup. Sometimes there were a lot of makeup. I will also admit that I've gotten to the place of like, when I get on Zoom calls, I want to wear makeup. Not because I want people to perceive me in a certain way, but because I'm looking at my own face and You're I'm like- right. I look, I just go, I look really tired. (laughs) And so it's like, it's a feedback loop of looking at yourself and being like. For two years, we've been looking at ourselves for two years. Right? So, but like, if I go and meet someone out, I'd like actually not thinking about that at all. It's really weird that it's more like, I need to see myself in makeup because it's a feedback loop for my own psyche as opposed to like how other people are perceiving me. But you're right. There is a definite gendered expectation about like, not just how women should present themselves, but that they care very deeply about how other people perceive their looks. Yeah. Right. That somehow making a, making a quip about your shoes in a sort of like derogatory way would like deeply injure you, would actually throw you off. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, how am I going to do my job since this person made a quip about my shoes? Or,
2: or it'll be an, Oh, I didn't recognize you. Okay. You, you know,
0: I'm their lawyer
2: and I'm a female here and I'm the only other, I'm the only female around, like, you know who I am, you know, it's stupid stuff like that. And and like you said, it's wow. in part, it is to kind of throw you off your game. And it's something, again, I, I don't experience women doing that. You know, I certainly don't do it to women. I mean, I may jam them on things or get into arguments, but I, I'm not, you know, I'm not making comments about their appearance to them or anything like that, but, um, or or to men, quite frankly. It's it's just, it's something I've only ever seen men do to women. You know, and it's just yet another thing where I think it goes beyond trying to throw us off our game, right? They, They feel comfortable doing it, right? Whether they realize they're doing it or not.
1: That was gonna be my question is, how many times do you think they're doing it on purpose? versus like that is just the tool in their toolkit that's like that in ingrained is that the word ingrained misogyny and sexism because like you said you wouldn't do that to women but you don't do that to men either you're not like well that suit looks terrible and then you think that that's gonna like totally derail them (laughs) right right I I wonder how much that is and both are problematic one if they think they're talking about your shoes and that they really think that's going to be a problem. If that's ingrained misogyny, they're both problematic.
2: I, I think it's more that aspect of it's more the ingrained misogyny. I think the throwing, throwing you off your game, they, there are different tactics for that. Like the interruptions, you know, I think we kind of talked about this mm. maybe when it was happening, like around the time of, you know, when Kamala Harris was interrupted during the debates and, and it was the,
1: which is the name of this podcast. Whole, exactly. Like, I am
2: speaking, I am speaking yeah. right. And I laugh because I'm like, oh man, we female attorneys go through that all the time. I mean, it, it's normal to interrupt one another as lawyers, right? You, you get into your arguments, you don't necessarily mean to, but you can certainly tell. I mean, there's a difference when someone is, that, that's where people really try to throw you off your game, right, is, is to prevent you from speaking and prevent you from doing your work, right? That's the way they really, really try to throw you off your game. So it's those types of tactics. Um, that stuff, you know, the stuff I was talking about more the appearance, I think that's the ingrained, just sexism and misogyny, right? They think it's totally appropriate to make those types of comments. I mean, I've seen men whose appearance has changed over the years. And if I get along with them, well, I may say something like, are you doing okay? How, you know, how you been, whatever. But if I don't have the greatest relationship with them, I don't make comments about their appearance.
1: Yeah, you're not like, Hey fatty,
2: like you're not. Yeah. Why would I, you know? So I don't know, it's that, that's, I think, more just the inherent, you know, sexism, but it's the other tactics where that's where they're trying to throw you off your game. And they'll certainly do that to men as well, but I don't see them pushing nearly as hard with that. You know, I always, I always find it interesting. I mean, I went to a meeting recently, I, I felt like I was at an auction. As soon as I would open my mouth, the other person would just start speaking. I couldn't get two words in edgewise. And then, as I was basically yelling at him to stop interrupting me, he was interrupting me to tell me that he wasn't interrupting me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I had to say, you know what? And the commentary needs to end too. And and then it stopped. But I, I had to keep, you know, going on. And I just thought. And then Come suddenly, on. you're bitchy. Exactly. Exactly.
1: Like, God, that Susan's a bitch. Like, no, I was just trying to talk.
2: Right. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No. And and that's what it always. That's what it always is. the the tone's bitchy. Um, no, the tone is me as a lawyer talking to another lawyer and this is how we communicate with one another. So it's just funny, you know, and, and I know they don't react to men this way. That's what's so funny is that I just think, do you realize what a baby you sound like? (laughs) You know, (laughs) I had this one attorney I dealt with part of it. I think he just had verbal diarrhea, but I mean, every time I saw him, he would insult me and then tell me how I was supposed to feel about it. And I just thought, there's no way you talk to men like this. They're, they're going to think you're the, can you give an example? I can't remember specifically what he would say. It's been so long. He would, you know, he would basically just, he was one of those people who was a nervous talker, right? Mm. He He would basically be, making comments about the position I was taking and, and insulting me, like in that sense, even though I won every step of the way and the law was completely on our side, you know, I would just kind of sit there and, and look at him as he was saying this. And and then I, he'd say something insulting and I, I'd, I'd give him a look and it would be, Oh, don't be offended. You know, you shouldn't react. You shouldn't be upset. I'm like, don't tell me how to feel.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like
2: that's I know. I mean, that's where I'm always like, I know you don't talk to men this way. So why are you talking to me this way? You know, it's just, it's, it's interesting. But I will say the one thing I love about working in a male-dominated environment when I go to meetings, it's the only time there is never a line for the women's bathroom. I love it. You're like, look at me, dudes. <laughs> exactly. In. I'll walk by the line to the men's room and I'll just go, ha ha. <laughs> yeah. It's the only time I ever see a line for the men's room.
0: That's happened to me one other time. I went to, oh, I went to uh, a Tool concert with my husband. I took my husband to see Tool for Valentine's Day and like 15 years ago or something like that. And I was like, first of all, I was like, I don't even know if I belong here. <laughs> but then secondly, I was like, oh, I can go in the restroom, no problem.
1: i might go pee three times, <laughs> watch me. So I'm trying to find the term. You guys might know it, but I'll find it. There was a, um, one of our favorite podcasts is called Hidden Brain. The host, his name is Shankar Vedantham. And he says it, he says his own name like 25 times every episode. Um, But he was talking to a female poker player that essentially used the stereotype against the men everyone thought that she was indecisive or she was emotional, whatever it was, all these things. And she knew that. And so she used it against them to win matches. Do you find yourself? It's called, it's called stereotype threat. There you go. That's what it is.
0: Can you use stereotype threat? IE what the opposite or what someone else thinks about what your gender stereotype is as a way, as a sort of like, to turn the tables on that and be like, I know what you think of me and what you see when I stand up. So can I use that to my advantage? So this is why Shulsh and I have, we get along well, because she knew
1: exactly what I was talking about and found it before me. But but yeah, like I can, do you have examples of that?
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. So especially when someone hasn't dealt with me before, I look younger than I am. So there's that too. And then the female part. So they'll assume I don't know what I'm doing now that only lasts so long because then once they, they realize I know what I'm doing, you know, then, then the gig is the jig is up on that. But, um, but I find a lot of times, you know, I, I know when people are testing me. Right. And again, I I find it coming from men more than women. I find women much more straightforward for the most part to deal with. I, I definitely use it to my advantage because I, they don't see me coming. And I know they don't see me coming and, and I take advantage of it
1: or they underestimate you.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, maybe that's the benefit of having seen it happen to me so much, but I always say it's, you know, one of the biggest mistakes people make is to underestimate the intelligence of others. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your background is. You know, there are lots of different levels of intelligence. And when you assume you're smarter than everybody else or, or others, you're really doing yourself a disservice because so many people overlook so many things that way. That just comes with a lot of arrogance, right? But uh, yeah, I I definitely use it to my advantage. And look, if I really wanted to, I could use it to my advantage other ways. I could dull myself up, but I just, I'm I'm not gonna do that. I I don't do that type of, I I don't take that type of approach ever, uh, you know. and I never have. But where I take advantage of it is when I can tell someone's underestimating me And I love the fact that they don't see me coming and and I know how to play that.
0: I think that's a perfect example. You can see the math that someone else is doing in their head about who you are and what your skills are and what you bring to the table. And to sort of like not play into that, but sort of to know how to be able to predict with some accuracy oh, because they see me this way, they're going to do this or they're going to say this. They're not going to push as hard here. They're going to get a little sloppy on this stuff. And that gives you the opportunity to really, you know, sort of hit them hard. And your job is to hit people hard to some extent, right? Right. But but because they're not prepared for it, it just catches them so much more off balance than if they were able to, if they looked at you and said, you know what? I'm going to assume this person is the best lawyer in the world. And I'm not going to make any assumptions about how they act or what they bring to the table or how what, how skilled they are. I'm going to be prepared for everything, right? right. Um, and I think your point that you made earlier, which is like, if you assume, not just not only that you're the smartest person in the room, but if you assume that other people are X or Y or Z because of how they look or how they talk or whatever, it or is. whether or whether or not they went to college, you know, I, exactly. I see a lot of
2: that, right? where people look down on people for not having a degree and some of my smartest clients have not gone to college, uh-huh. you know, and, and I see that. Right. Um, and so to me, it's just, none of that matters. You know, it's, right. you really have to look at the individual, but another way I use it to my advantage is I use it to prep my clients because like I said before, they're used to me dealing with them in a certain way because I'm on their side and I, and I don't have to get after them. Right. But when I'm getting them ready for a hearing, I will play devil's advocate. I will get them ready for the other side. And a lot of times I'll warn them, but sometimes I don't. And sometimes I'll just start getting after them to see how they react and see how they'll do. And it really, they're like, oh my God, she's yelling at me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, she's just getting after me. And then I'll tell them, I'm like, no, I, want to, I need to see how you react. Because like, if you can't handle it from me, you're not going to be able to handle it from someone who's not on your side. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so I use it, I kind of use that side that they don't normally see to get them ready because they're not necessarily expecting it.
1: Right. To like, make sure that you have your gaps filled. Yeah, exactly.
2: Exactly. You know, so, cause they, and, and, for different reasons, they don't like I said, they don't necessarily see it coming because I think too. And I mean, lawyers are so used to it. We can get after people without getting emotional, without raising our voices. Right. That's what we do. Um, sometimes people raise their voices, but you know, we can really get after someone without ever raising our voice mm-hmm. and, and without it being an angry situation. So many people can't do that. They have to work themselves up emotionally in order to confront someone and confrontation is our currency, right? I mean, literally it's, yeah, you know, but so many people see it as this emotional thing and it's not necessarily. So, you know, that's what I think a lot of people aren't used to. And that's especially, I think, where just a lot of people don't necessarily expect until they see it a woman to be able to really, really, as people have said to me, like tear someone a new one without ever raising my voice. Yeah, you know, and that's something a lot of people just don't see like it, it's something they see often in men, but most people don't see it often in women, and mm-hmm. I think it, it is a shock to them when they actually see it happen
0: it's well that that trait that the ability to confront someone without sort of like having explosive anger.
1: With like measured emotions.
0: Right. Level, focused, like a laser, like a drill bit, like I'm going here, I'm not going everywhere. This isn't dynamite, this is a drill bit, right? Very, very focused and, and like calm, right? Uh, is definitely not a trait that people associate with women. And uh, most people, in general, forget women or men, most people in general are conflict, conflict or confrontational averse, right? So that even the fact of being called out on something, being asked to account for something, being asked to explain something feels like confrontation. And then you throw the gender stuff on top of it, where one person feels like they're being attacked. And the person who's quote, unquote, attacking shouldn't be in that role in the first place, right? Like, why are you being It becomes, why are you being so mean to me?
1: Why are you yelling at me? Right. Well, I would just like to say, you're right, Shayla Shee. It is not, both of you guys said like that uh, level, calm, like calculated anger or emotion is not thought about as female energy. However, we're moms. There's not a mom I know that doesn't know how to say something in a way that is level and calculated, and can
0: bring a child to their knees in fear. Right, right. Like right. So she was just saying, Princess so- Kate is my favorite example of this. Where like she's there's a picture of her, and she's like holding Prince George and talking to her, Charlotte, I think her daughter, right, to Charlotte. Whatever she's saying to her kid, it is through <laughs> clenched teeth, and you know that she's like, I swear to God. <laughs> <laughs> You better cut this bullshit. I'm sure she didn't say bullshit, but like something like you better cut this out because there are billion cameras around here. I'm gonna kill. But that's the thing is like it's such a
1: female energy. My daughter knows if I'm like I'm like Anushka Grace Carstens, but if I if I go Anushka Grace Carstens, she
0: will run. Get in line. I don't even have to say anything; I just have to snap, and my kids are like, "Fuck, what's going on?" I think, but I think the other thing, Susan, that you were saying is like, this is, it's not just about being, having controlled anger. It's about being able to confront someone and, and press and push where people feel like they're being, like, it's, it's like very personal confrontation, but it's not.
1: It's not yeah. You're not actually angry. And right. no, the interpretation
0: exactly. is why are you mad at me? Why are you being mean to me? Um, and people don't like confrontation to begin with and then layering the gender stuff on top of it. It becomes, right. I don't like to, I don't like to be in this headspace to begin with. And now the person who should, a person who shouldn't even be acting this way is acting this way. And why, why are they calm and measured and they have the upper hand. And I can imagine why, you know, your counterparts who are men don't they there's not the same reaction Mm -hmm. because you're actually stepping into a role that people don't associate with women which is right I can be cool and collected and calm and I can laser focus on the thing I want to know and I'm not going to let up but I'm also not mad Mm -hmm. it is
2: funny and it's it, like it's, it's just always funny to see how different people react to it and and you can tell right away the people who just are not used to handling it. I mean, as I always say, you know, and i'm I have more of a quote unquote, male trait too, in the sense that I'm just a very direct person and and it's a choice. I, I I see it as a sign of respect. I think it's disrespectful to beat around the bush with people. I'm not a passive aggressive person. I'd much rather that somebody just be direct with me and so many people see that as a confrontation in and of itself. And it, it shocks me, you know, because I, to me, it's just, I'm, I'm doing it as a sign of respect.
1: Trust me, I would not care to be straightforward with you if I didn't care about the situation.
2: Right. I mean, you know, so I, and I'd prefer that people be straightforward with me, right? Like I, I hate it when people play, inter, I hate interpersonal games and, and all that, but, but we women are expected to behave that way
1: be coy or be like patty and
2: passive aggressive and all those things. And I'm very
0: much not that I'm hundred percent with you on that. I mean, Kosha knows that I've there, are, there are newer members of our family who have, you know, basically been like, is she, is she mad at me? Cause I'm just like, and I'm just like very direct and very like, and my, when I deliver what I'm saying, I'm also delivering it with like a high degree of energy. I'm not direct and calm. I'm usually like very animated too. So it comes off as, can come off as yelling if no one's used, if people aren't used to receiving. Used to it, right, right. And they're like, you know, my sisters, my brother, my parents, my husband, they're like, that's who you are. But you know, if someone is like new to the family or like new, like I have to really um, be careful when they start jobs because I'll just be like, just do the thing, do the thing. I'll just be like super directive. And they're like, God, she's really like either uptight or like, why is she so me? And they're just like, I'm not mean. I just don't have time to help you for you to get around to figuring out what I need you to figure out.
1: Also, like a lawyer who is like, you're working with your clients, but you're a third party. So well, she's a consultant. So she comes in in the same way. You guys are really like bang,
2: bang, bang.
1: Where you're like, I see the problem, and now you have to fix it. Where when you're inside the organization, they're probably like, Can you just be a little nicer to
0: me? <laughs> your work is probably the same, which is, I've described, you know, sort of long-term work as being chess and you win some, mm-hmm. you lose some, but right. you're, yep. you know, you're, you're building towards something bigger. And so it's like, you don't care if you've lost everyone on your chessboard except for the one piece that's going to checkmate your, you know, the other side's King. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm a consultant. I play checkers. I want to get in. I want to get out. And I want to win as much as possible, as quickly as possible. Right you know, I don't, I don't have time. My typical engagement is, is a year or less. I don't have time to wait for you all to figure stuff out. I don't have time for you all to get comfortable with my work style here.
2: Right. And yet like, that's a quality that in men it's, it's expected right. In in business settings, but I find when, when a woman has it, it's viewed very differently,
0: very differently. Yes.
2: Not by everybody, right. Not by everybody, but in a lot of circumstances, it is viewed very differently. It's like, well, she's abrasive. Okay, but you deal with men like this all the time and you don't consider them abrasive.
1: He's a boss man and I'm a bitch.
2: Yeah. No, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm not a pushover and I was on a conference call with someone and it was a very basic premise. It was, you know, I represent the organization and there was a member who had their own attorney on an individual issue. I don't give individuals legal advice. I, the, the organization is my client. And, and this attorney knows this, this. I mean, he was this person's individual attorney. And so we had worked out, okay, we were just trying to make sure we were on the same page on things. So he said, okay, so you're gonna tell this member this. And I said, no, I've never spoken to him. I, I don't even have his number. I said, I'm, I'm not his attorney. You're, you're gonna have to tell him. And the reaction I got was, and he literally, he said, your reputation precedes you. What does that even mean? I mean, what, that I'm not a pushover? I mean, seriously, because this is lawyer 101 stuff. Of course, I'm not going to tell this person. He's not my client. I don't give him legal advice. Yeah. And, you know, and I just thought like, that has to be a woman thing because I like, I know you wouldn't talk to a man like that. This is just a basic premise that, that shouldn't have even come up.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, and I just thought, what, what does that even mean? That's a weird thing to say, right? It definitely was not a compliment.
0: You know? Well, oh, no, it wasn't. And it, it also wasn't like, um, it wasn't something that you could do that you were not doing. Right. It, it was like a dig at something that you shouldn't do. That if you did do
1: it, you would be breaching your lawyerness. That's not a word.
2: My ethical obligations. <laughs> I would be violating my ethical obligations. Thank you. Obligations. That's what I that's, meant that's to say. That's the official way to say when it. When I said breaching your lawyerness,
1: that's exactly what I meant.
2: That's the other way of saying it. Yeah.
1: You're violating your ethical obligations. Oh my God, Kosha.
0: Well, on that lovely note, my sister can clearly no longer use her brain to form <laughs> real words. <laughs> She's making up words.
1: No, I, I, I have a question for you because I've noticed several times in the past how long we've had that you have said something very frustrating and then you've said, well, it's just really funny. Yeah. And I, I, I wonder how much of you calling it funny is putting the armor on because yeah. I have had to deal with this bullshit for years. And if I let it get to me every time, I'm go- it's gonna destroy me. So now it's just funny. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little? And I, d- I don't mean that as an insult. I actually am like, I think women do this, right? Right. And we're so good at being like, oh, God, that's, he's just being stupid, right? Like, that's just funny. I just find it funny. It, so that's part A of the question. And then part B is what's the evolution been like for you? I wonder if, has it always been funny or have you gotten to the point where it has to be?
2: It, it waxes and wanes. It, it's definitely a defense mechanism because it, it is inherently frustrating at the same time. You know, I, I default to laughter whenever and wherever I can. Um, and so I think that's just for me, how I how I deal with it so that it doesn't get overwhelming at times. Certainly there are times when I'm absolutely pissed about it. Um, and I, I think it's also just because there's very little I can do about it. Right. I, I have to just, I have to keep doing what I have to do um, to be me and and to represent my clients the best way that I can. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to let any of that stop me, obviously, you know, So
1: part of it is your Teflon, right? Like, and over the years you've, you've had to layer on the Teflon. So you are able to keep your eye on the prize.
2: Yeah. And then part of it is actually funny because I love that these people can't handle it. And that I, that I get under their craw, right? I mean, like I said, in a way it is kind of a bit of a revenge, right? I figure, well, I'll get something out of it then.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, there is like a, you can either laugh or cry and mm-hmm, right, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. laughter at least sort of keeps your energy up. But I think the other thing, and I've heard this throughout your, you know, our conversation with you is that whatever someone is saying or doing or trying to do or whatever, you're not taking it personally. You're like, that's clearly about them. Mm -hmm. And not about me. Like I'm confident and comfortable in my own skin. And I know what I bring to the table. And I know I'm a good lawyer. And I know that I have to wear flats because I can't walk in anything else. Right? So if they want to be cranky pants about it and have an emotional reaction to what I'm doing, that's on them, not on me. It's funny that they
1: think that this is about them to the point where what they're saying to me is going to affect me. We've, ta- we've had this conversation about like Obama, right? Like Obama as a first black president had to be perfect. Right. He had to go to Harvard. He had to be president of the law review. He had to be perfect. And Donald Trump had to be rich and white. Right. That's kind of the frustration that I'm having right now is you are an excellent lawyer. You, I, I've seen you in action, right? And I've heard you, you and I've been like, I'm so glad I'm not a firefighter. Like I don't have to go against <laughs> Well, you mean management. <laughs> right, management. I'm not like, yeah, a municipal firehouse yeah. or whatever. But like I I know how excellent you are, but I it, the frustration is you have to be in order to get to where you are. And a dude can be half as good as you and think that he can go toe to toe. Yeah,
2: definitely. Women, I think, in that sense, are held to a higher standard, especially on our behavior. And and like I said, for the reasons we talked about, that we're we're seen as emotional, right? And but we're in an environment where it's not good when your emotions get the better of you, right? It's it's highly confrontational and aggressive, but you have to keep your emotions very measured and in check. And so women are held to a much higher standard in that sense, I think, in general, because of the perceptions that we don't thrive in, in that type of an environment as well. And I see women do it, like we talked about, right, all the time. In that sense, we have to be better, right? And But it's not always recognized. And that's, and that's inherently frustrating. And, and I mean, look at pay in general, right? Whether it's in law or other professions, we're still paid less overall you know, when you throw in childcare, I mean, things have gotten so much better as far as men taking on more responsibilities at home and actually sharing and equally in the burdens. And and I'm very lucky in that sense. But, you know, as you know, I have a husband who travels, so I'm a solo parent during the week. It's it's not that he isn't doing the work, he's physically not here.
1: Right. And when he is
2: here, he's totally hands on and and jumps right in. But, you know, so when you add that factor into it as well, it's hard. And and luckily, I've always been with employers who have been very, very understanding about that. Both the men and the women um, have been very understanding about childcare needs. And, you know, I mean, my kids have grown up going to union meetings and, you know, coming with me to hearings and all that kind of stuff. And it's good for them. It's good for them to see what I'm doing and that I'm working. Oh, yeah. and, and my clients have been very understanding about it as well. Um, so I I've, I've been very lucky in that sense that at least on that end of things, that hasn't been a problem so much as just balancing the work with the time, but definitely women are held to a higher standard in that, in that sense, just as far as, cause I think, you know, we're, we're not expected to be as good and, and we're expected to not be able to handle it as well.
0: Yeah. You know, um,
2: whether, whether people realize that's their perception or not. And I think more and more, it's even becoming more subtle that, that people, I I think people honestly believe they're woke when they're not as woke as they think they are.
0: The more women have moved out of the private sphere into the public sphere and have taken Mm -hmm. on roles that were traditionally male dominated, right? The more women are in law and in medicine and in, in public you know, in government and and judges and engineers and all of these fields that were traditionally reserved for men, the more the subtle expectations for what it means to be a woman get enforced, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, sure, you wanna be a lawyer, be a lawyer, but you better be, walk that line of what it means to be feminine and a good lawyer. And so that will mean more work, but it's hard to be feminine and be, you know, pushing to get an answer out of a client. So it's one thing or the other is going to have to go. And, you know, knowing most women who are professionals who've invested deeply in their careers, it's not going to be the competency part of their jobs. Right. Like, I'm not giving up. I'm not going to be a crummy lawyer just because it makes, because it's going to make you more comfortable with my, the fact I'm a woman.
2: You also can't be right because they're already expecting that too. So then, if you don't if you don't meet the personality, and then you you meet the expectation that you're not as good. I mean, it just it, it cascades. It's
1: feeding into the yeah right, like it feeds into that stereotype confirmation. Like, see, I told you you shouldn't have hired her. You should have hired my buddy Brad or whatever. I don't know. I'm sorry to all the Brads out there. they are lovely. <laughs> <laughs>
0: What would be your advice for a woman who's thinking about moving into a type of job like this, where they're going to see a lot of, you know, opposition that's male and will try and, you know, throw them off their game or, or just expect less because they are a woman Um, or someone who's in that situation right now, who's like, how how am I supposed to deal with this? Right.
2: I would say stay the course and be yourself because, you know, as I always tell my clients, you can never please everyone. And and so you have to figure out what your priorities are and and aim for them, right? And aim to accomplish them. And so, you know, I think the best advice I can give is just stay the course and be yourself and don't change because other people are trying to get you to change, whether whether it's intentional or not. Um, I mean, and obviously you always want to be willing to grow. I don't mean to, to say to not have a growth mindset or anything of, of that nature, but don't change just because someone is um, trying to impose their perceptions on you. It's either a game or it's, it's based on a misplaced notion that, that doesn't belong and be true to yourself.
1: That's good life advice.
0: Yeah, hopefully. And, and I want to be real clear to our listeners. We are not talking about people who are in situations where they are being harassed or being right, you know right, where there's right. a toxic culture they're being harassed or they're being propositioned or you know it's unsafe for them right we're talking about these a generally safe supportive environment standard right. yeah day to day interactions right. yeah but that on occasion someone that you work with is underestimating you or making assumptions about who you are and what you can do based on the fact that you're a woman right which is a very different like, if you're in an unsafe place or you're being harassed, find somewhere else to work. Like, right. th- th- that's not a keep going and just, like, stay the course type. That's, like, you're in danger. So, yeah, right.
1: Has it happened to you where even early in your career where you're like, maybe I should wear heels or maybe I should wear a skirt? Like, ha- have you seen that where women actually feel that pressure to change yeah
2: no i really haven't seen it because the way i look at it too is that's really an individual choice for everybody right if you want to wear a skirt and you know what have you go for it right Uh, that that's you that's your approach it's not for me to say that that's what works right because everything works it's uh, different things work for different people but no i i haven't seen it personally Um, but again, I mean, I have been in a much more male dominated sets of environments and I've certainly never felt that pressure or seen that pressure, um, you know, to, to dress a certain way or things of that from, you know, within my work environments. Um, because again, you know, the same reason I'm in it. You know, I work with a lot of people that, that, that we do this because we really believe in it and we really love the work and we're very passionate about it. So it's, it's very nice in that sense to be in that type of a work environment with, with people like that, because the focus is more on we're here because we love what we do, Mm -hmm. not because we want people to look and act a certain way.
1: That's awesome. Because I think what we've noticed, we started asking for advice in just this last season. And what we've noticed is when we're really talking about advice like what would you give your younger self or someone who's going through this it always it always is life advice it's not about how to come out to your parents it's not about how to be a lawyer in a male dominated society it's really this larger picture of like this is what I have learned and it's not so specific but I have figured out that when I am true to myself and I stay the course and I see that I, I have my eye on the prize I am a better lawyer, I am a better person, I am a better mom, like all of that stuff. And it's how to be your best self. And these are a bunch of ways to do it. And that you just proved my point really is like, it's not like, okay, when a man comes to you and tries to demean you, then you do this. You're saying like, right. this is a way to be yourself and put yourself first and, 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 and then add to the greater good of society. So I, I love that. Fortunately, I have the fun question, right? But unfortunately, <laughs> it's the last question. The question is, uh, it's really our connecting thread through everybody. It's, it's what is your familect, which is your family variety of words.
2: Yeah. Amongst our family, it's more just inside jokes. Um, There are two main ones. One was for pre-kids around the time, since my husband travels all the time, I was visiting him at work and this was right after that shoe bomber incident. And so I didn't realize that they were making you take your shoes off at the airport. And at the time when I would go through security, you know, if, if you had metal in your shoe, you'd set it off, but you, if you didn't, you were fine and you didn't have to take your shoes off. So as we were, as my husband and I were approaching security, he very subtly turned to me and he said, you might want to take your shoes off, just real casual. And I said, oh, there's no metal in these. I'm fine. And he just shrugged knowing that they were going to do like a full search of me because of the shoe bomber incident, because Rude. this is the first time I had traveled. So I had no idea.
1: So he wasn't like, you're going to have to take them off.
2: Thank you. Yeah. He, <laughs> it was nothing more than you might want to take your shoes off. So they asked me to take my shoes off. And I said, oh, there's no metal in them. I'm good. And they were like, okay, please step over here. So you know how tall he is. So he's standing there looking over the partition. So
1: Jerry's like six foot 20. Yeah.
2: So he's laughing at me as I'm getting this like search. Full airport. search. So ever since then, our, one of our big inside jokes is you might want to take your shoes off, like for something <laughs> where you should really warn
1: someone, but you're just like barely telling them. See, that's totally Femilax though, because it it is is an inside joke, but it has nothing to do with taking your shoes off. But if you're like, uh, your seatbelt's not not on, you'd be like, you might want to take your shoes off.
2: Yeah. It's a serious warning that should really be a serious warning, but isn't (laughs)
1: like, and I would have been like, why didn't you tell me like you have to take your shoes off. And that
2: was, that was his attitude was, well, I I did tell you, I said, no, that was a suggestion. (laughs) not an instruction. Like it when you're really supposed to give someone an instruction, but you give them a suggestion. That's, that's our, ah. that's kind of our, so that's our general, like, you might want to take your shoes off. It's like, no, you really should.
1: <laughs> you <know? laughs> I'm telling you for real. And what's the other one you said?
2: Well, there's just another one. This was again, pre-kids, but the kids really pick up on this one. So Jerry is a Chicago and he was born on the South side, but he doesn't have much of an accent. So this was when we were living in Lansing. Michigan and I had asked him to get me something from the kitchen and he was taking longer than I wanted and so I said where's my muffin and I heard from the kitchen I'm doing your muffins now and I was like who the hell put a Chicagoan in my kitchen like where did this person come from and so the kids love that and and so now it's it's like a running joke I'm doing your muffins now
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's good.
1: Well, Which, first of all, is super femilect, because if you said, I'm doing your muffins now, even in a normal voice, I'd be like, I don't know what the fuck that means. What? That doesn't make no kind of noise. I didn't ask
0: for a muffin, so
1: thanks. (laughs) It wasn't really part of the plan here,
0: but cool exactly
2: exactly I'm gonna start
1: saying that that's amazing I'm gonna go downstairs and say that to my family and just see what they say
2: so that's like that's our family act is our our like our little inside jokes and just funny funny interactions we've had with one another sayings like now Marlo's big thing is one time he said to me I'm sorry I'm not living up to your expectations (laughs) okay
1: (laughs) okay sir calm down
0: I'm like you're right you're not
1: (laughs) You're like you should be sorry.
0: My son wasn't born yet, so my daughter was not yet 4. They had just seen um Tangled. So, you know, the the Rapunzel movie recently and there's a thing where you know the stepmother says like you're you're crushing my soul. I told my kid to do something once and they go, "Mom, you're crushing my soul." <laughs> That's kind of become part of our family life, which is like <laughs> yeah. You want some soul crushing? I will crush your soul, <laughs> because that's a bit of like. First of all, my first reaction was, "You have not seen Soul Crushing yet."
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> right. you'll know when your soul is
2: being crushed.
0: <laughs> my second reaction was, "This is a bit early." You <laughs> <laughs> still got another ten years for this BS. And my <laughs> third reaction was like, "What are you talking about? Like, it's like it's time to go to the bathtub, or it was something like so inane." Well, Evelyn, when
2: she was not even quite two, she was getting dressed and I went to ask her if she needed help choosing an outfit. And she screamed at me, get out of my style and then slammed the door. (laughs) Wow. So that's another one we use, get out of my style. I'm like- Oh, I'm gonna say that. That's very appropriate, like in the context. Well, because I was saying like, do you need help choosing an outfit? And she was already on her way to choosing an outfit. So she was like, and, and she did. She got dressed all on her own. She picked <laughs> her own outfit and everything, And she was like, get out of my
0: style, slam. I was like- And I bet Whoa. you she looked
1: fabulous. That's she
0: my good. I-, I would also say the answer to that could have been no. <laughs> or I got
1: this, thank you. Right. Exactly. <laughs> thank you, mother, but
0: no. It was
2: that. hilarious. It was hilarious. Oh my That's
0: God. That's when you're just
2: like, where did I get this from?
0: Just blame your husband. This is your. This is your side. This is your stuff coming through. I'm not like this. Ever.
1: I saw a tweet the other day that's like, you can say please and thank you a hundred times a day and your kids won't pick that up. But if you say stupid ass fucker one time, Uh, suddenly they remember it. So Anushka once, she had a remote control and she would take it across the room, put it down, walk back across the room and then go, my phone! And run (laughs) to the remote control. And she did it like seven times <laughs> and then I looked at Brian I go so I do that apparently <laughs> and he's like well you look for your phone an awful lot like you misplace it an awful lot I say my phone and I look for it and then I like quickly walk toward it I do that a lot apparently <laughs> funny. kids are are really good mirrors
0: but they're shitty little mirrors <laughs> yeah oh yeah well, Susan, it's been fantastic to talk to you. Yes. Yeah, it was great talking to you guys. We really appreciate the time that you've taken to talk to us and your willingness to share your stories about sort of what's, you know, what, what you've gone through. I, I don't mean to make it sound like it's just been like yeah. Sisyphusian, like just mm-hmm. constantly pushing the rock uphill. But, you know, as we know that women face the same challenges whenever they, you know, it, even in female-dominated fields, it's, it's oh, yeah. the same stuff. So it's just... It's kind of just a matter of like, what color are the challenges that you're facing versus what color someone else's challenges are, yeah. Yeah, no,
2: it's more just frustration because ultimately I absolutely love what I do. And, uh, you know, it's, and, and I, wouldn't, I wouldn't change that I do it. Um, it's, it's more just, you know, the different things you see on a day-to-day basis where you just kind of roll your eyes and stay the course. You
1: know, layer that Teflon girl.
0: You got this. Oh yeah. Thank you again so much for coming on and sharing your story. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of Take course. Care. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye.
2: Bye.
1: Later,